electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Hey there, Carl. Happy holidays to all of you guys on Tech Check, and welcome to the Halftime Report. I am Frank Holland in for Scott Wapner. The sell-off in high valuation growth stocks, it continues. Should you buy on the big drop, or should you just stay away? And is this going to spark a bigger pullback in the market overall as we head into year end? Plus, one of our committee members making a big move in one of those fang names. Joining us for the hour, Jenny Harrington, Steve Weiss, Joe Terranova, and John Ajarian, co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. But first, let's get a check on the markets this hour. The Nasdaq trying to avoid a third down day, recouping big losses from earlier today. Rising yields, they've been fueling recent declines. The 10-year hitting 1.68% today. Obviously, fast rising yields on the 10-year, that's definitely having a big impact on tech names. And let's just talk about it. We're going to start things off looking at some of the high growth names. And we're seeing across the board, a lot of those high growth stocks, they've been hit pretty hard by these rising yields. I'm going to start off with you, Jenny, if you don't mind. Are you looking at high growth stocks right now as a chance to buy the dip? Are you kind of moving away with these moves in the 10-year that we're seeing? Well, it would be hard to move away since we were never in them. Um, but no, we're also not looking at buying the dip. We need to buy stocks. <laughs> um, we need to buy stocks for our discipline growth strategy that have a five percent or better high free cash flow yield. So they're not there yet. But it was interesting because ahead of the show we were chatting, and I was saying, you know what? Like maybe things like PayPal. Um, Coinbase, Zoom, like maybe if they get a little bit cheaper, they will be something that we'll look at. But we're still a long way away. I think they would all need to pull back another 30% or more to get to those free cash flow yields where we want. So we're not there yet, but it's getting exciting and it's getting interesting. And I would love to like, you know, finally get to play in the sandbox with everybody else one day if the stocks get a little bit cheaper. But not there yet, for sure. Jenny, great point. You have to be in it to get out of it. I'm glad you pointed that out. Joe, we're going to go over to you. (laughs) You are in a few of those names. What's your take? (laughs) Well, I think uh, what has happened is that sentiment has clearly, uh, for a lot of the hyper-growth stocks, uh, extenuated the overall bearishness that's existed since really uh, Q1 of earlier this year. So as we head towards the end of the year, I don't expect that you'll be able to reverse a lot of that because you'll experience a lot of tax loss selling, Frank. So what I would expect through the remainder of the year is that you're going to see a bifurcated performance in technology, specifically between companies that Jenny is defining, companies that are highly qualitative, companies that are generating free cash flow. And those are really the the multi-trillion dollar type of uh, equity names, whether it's a Microsoft or an Apple. And on the other side of that, the names where uh, the revenue is being generated at some point in the future, well, there's going to be a challenge for those stocks to kind of recover. So 
I don't see any significant recovery unfolding until we really get through the January earnings season. And that's one of the reasons why I'm not adding to any of those positions or initiating new ones. Why it's going over to you. I mean, we're looking at some of the numbers right here with some of those growth stocks. We see Zoom down 20 percent in the last week. But there are some fundamental reasons. The growth is slowing down a lot. You look at other stocks like Akupa down 9 percent in the last week with all the supply chain issues. You you'd think that investors would be piling in there. Is these, this decline in these growth stocks, is that simply interest rate pressure? You know, I, I believe it is, actually. And, you know, there's, a, there's been a direct correlation. It's almost on tick-by-tick tick basis to what the yield in the 10-year is doing, to what the growth stocks do, and what the market does overall. And we're seeing that. Uh, we saw it this morning. We saw it happen on Monday. The only time we didn't see it, actually, was yesterday afternoon when the market rallied back violently into the close after the bond market closed. So I guess they thought, you know what, this big move uh, in the bond market yesterday afternoon will be reversed in the morning. It looked like it, it wasn't, wasn't going to be the case, and then it was. So that's why we're seeing lift in, in these companies. Look, when you, when you own a high flyer like these are, and there's some high flyer value stocks, don't get me wrong, but stocks are selling at 100 times revenue and 150 times revenue. They have no earnings, and you have to model those out using a discounted cash flow analysis. I'm not going to get too technical here, but in that analysis, you put in what interest rates are. The higher the rates go, right, that you have, the less value of those pre- of those cash flows on a present-day basis. So to me, it's inescapable that you're going to continue to see pressure on these stocks because all the economic reports we got today give the Fed great cover to aggressively increase their timing on the tapering and bring forward interest rate increases. And I think that message will be further hammered home when we get inflation numbers next month. So you'll continue to see pressure on these stocks. You can't justify Snowflake at 325, can't justify it at 300. There's just no valuation metric for it. Great company, but that's different than the valuation. So I would not touch those stocks now. And Jenny, you have plenty of time before you have to get involved. All right, Dr. J, we're going to toss things over to you. Uh, what's your take on this? I know that you're long on, on one of these high-growth names. We don't have it on our list, but a firm is one name that you're long on right now. What's your take on high-growth stocks? Mm-hmm. Well, clearly there's been a lot of pressure on these names, um, uh, especially in recent times here, Frank, for all the reasons that Steve uh, just outlined and Jenny, too. Uh, the, the fact that you've got some of these trading at 100 times sales or whatever numbers, um, then you've got a lot of those stocks that just people can't stop buying, like Roblox. Uh, beginning of November, Frank, RBLX was 78 bucks. Um, it traded, you know, huge to the upside since then, putting on, you know, 50% or more. Um, and it's hardly pulled back at all. Um, Snowflake, to Steve's point, did have that big jump from 300 to nearly 400 and then pulled back to 350. If you're on that 400 part of that slide, uh, that pull down to 350 feels pretty bad. If you zoom out just a little bit, um, it still looks pretty good. But again, can they keep justifying it? Um, we're seeing consumer confidence numbers that are you know, pretty much at the low of the year right now. Michigan sentiment came out at, what, 67, I think, today, Frank. Going into the pandemic, um, more or less, February of 2020, right as things were really getting bad, Um, We were over 101 for the Michigan uh, consumer confidence. And when you see that and see 
people returning in a big way. TSA says we're going to be right back to pre-pandemic travels. Um, and yet you can't get um, some of the, the rest of the market restarted because of mandates, whether it's vax mandates or whether it's masks and so forth, and or just people that want to stay home. So um, I think a lot of these tech names still work into 2022, and that's mm-hmm. why I'm still riding them, Frank. Yeah, a lot of confidence in Roblox, one of those companies you mentioned. Uh, big news today, a lot of luxury brands are kind of staking out their real estate there in, in the metaverse, if you will. Um, now turn our attention to what Kathy yes, Wood had to say about these high growth stocks earlier today on Squawk Box. Let's take a listen. What we would be doing is shorting stocks that are in the big benchmarks. And when we get into a risk off situation, what happens is portfolio managers and analysts generally run back to those stocks, get closer to their benchmarks, and they dump our stocks, which are either small parts of benchmarks or not in benchmarks. Great opportunity for us, as we have experienced during these last few days, to pick up on those stocks because it's simply a a risk off move to get closer to benchmarks. So, Weiss, I'm going to look over at you right now. Uh, are you agreeing with what Kathy Wood has to say? I know you recently shorted the ARK ETF. Yeah, I, I use ARK as a, as a hedge in the portfolio because she owns all those high growth stocks. So rather than taking single stock risk in any short, uh, it's great to have. It was very kind of Kathy to put together that ETF. Look, I've got a lot of respect for Kathy. She's, she's a great investor, built a great business. But it seems what gets you assets and what gets you elected are the same thing, hyperbole and taking a long-term view. And I just think that there's a world that can happen, a world of pain or a world of enjoyment can happen between now and five years and 10 years. So it's too early, in my view, to stake major claims to those high flyers that she has in her portfolio. Similarly, I think it's too early to call the death of anything in the S&P, but that fits her narrative. So no, so I'm looking for opportunities in lower valued stocks. They don't have to be 10 multiples because there's growth that you can find at PEs that are actually at a discount to the market. So why wouldn't I go there where there's less risk and similar upside? I mean, keep in mind stocks that have low multiples have gone up 100, 140%, whereas the ARC portfolio this year, after a phenomenal year last year, is down on the year. So it doesn't mean that you have to own, that proves it, these high-valued stocks. All right, just uh, one point here. Uh, I know you said it's down a year, uh, Hmm. up 1% over the last year, down about 8%, 9% over the last month. Joe, I'm going to go over to you. We're talking a lot about these rising interest rates, these moves in the 10-year, 10 basis points since the close on Friday. But Bespoke Out with a note today, looking at the performance of tech stocks post-financial crisis. And according to their research, tech stocks have actually performed better on both an absolute and relative basis during periods of rising rates versus falling rates. What do you think? Well, I think that supports my opening remarks uh, in which I suggested that there will be a resiliency for the Apple, Microsoft, Facebook, Alphabet type of mega cap equity names. Uh, They are delivering double digit revenue growth. They are uh, conducting their business with strong operating uh, leverage and margins, and they're generating significant free cash flow. So I I would agree with that. And that's where this kind of differentiation sets itself into place uh, for technology. And and I also think it kind of plays a little bit back towards what Kathy was speaking about this morning. If you look forward over a five to 10 year period, I don't think very many of us would be surprised if we said Kathy will enjoy 
a positive annualized return. The question becomes, is it a single-digit annualized return or double-digit annualized return? In the here and now, though, the problem that Kathy has is that her strategy, unfortunately, is so highly correlated to whether deflation takes hold, inflation takes hold, and what's the direction of interest rates. And that's just a difficult position to be in right now. So I kind of fall back upon when you're in that environment and when you're potentially 50 basis points away from normalizing a 10-year treasury back to the five and 10-year average, I want to be in those companies in technology, like John said, but I want to be in those companies where I know they are short duration assets. I could see the revenue in front of me here and now. Turning over to you, uh, Jenny, really quick, I know you said you can't get out of it if you're not into it, but um, are we just talking too much about these rising interest rates? Because obviously interest rates it really impact all businesses, not just these tech names. You know, for a change, I don't think we can talk enough about them. I think it's a really, really big deal. And one of the things that happens with, with rising interest rates is it ultimately takes money. It takes liquidity out of the system. And when there are less dollars floating around, risk appetite changes. So it's been like a party for the last couple of years, right? Dollars just flying out there and you're getting all these dollars for free. And when you have free dollars, you'll buy anything and you'll do anything and you'll take risk because it doesn't really matter. And that's changing. So I actually think that rising interest rates have a really big effect on people. Both the way Steve explained it, using the discounted cash flow, like from a mathematical perspective, it has a big effect, but it also has a really big effect psychologically. And it really affects psychologically what people are willing to buy. I think it's interesting, too, um, you know, as, as Joe was saying, you want to buy the big tech stocks, but you need to be really careful even on that. And this might bring <clears throat> us into more of a stock picker's market versus a, an index and ETF um, and, um, and passive kind of approach that's worked so well. So if if interest rates affect different companies differently, then you can't just say, hey, let's buy big tech, let's buy FANG. You right. actually need to take a pause and say, Facebook's earnings are growing in the high teens, high teens, maybe low 20s. <clears throat> Apple's earnings for the next years are growing 3 to 5%. When you have, really, when you have increasing interest rates, and, and as Joe just said, the short duration, right? You're looking at the short duration of those cash flows. There are huge impacts. So you really need to start to evaluate each company on a different basis. Um, yeah, I really don't think we can talk about them enough. It's a big deal. All right, well, those and high value... it's exciting. It's bringing rationalization back in. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely exciting. We've seen a lot of moves right now, especially on a holiday-shortened week. So while the high valuation growth stocks sell off, mega cap names, they're still on a roll. But, John, you told us earlier this week that you actually sold out of Meta. Yeah, I did. Um, the former Facebook, uh, uh, on Monday, Frank, when... Uh, uh, there was some, uh, I guess, enough activity in Riven and a couple others that they actually got a hold of me at the airport. So I came in and uh, did a quick hit on there. Um, Meta had traded back up, Frank, into the 355 or higher range. Um, and I was so happy to get out of the rest of my Meta up there. Um, so I dumped out of that and I bought calls. My calls are out in January. I replaced that. I rolled down that Riven because um, Steve, uh, I'm sorry, Steve, uh, uh, Jim Labenthal. I don't know how I'd ever confuse you two. <laughs> but Me neither. Jim, I, I'm Jim insulted. Was... I, I, yeah. <laughs> you record, should be. John, I don't no, own a kidding. single pair of khakis, just for the record. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, and we know uh, Farmer Jim has a bunch of them. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, Jim made a great trade on Rivian on the put side and jumped on that. 
I rolled my Rivian call spread down, Frank, to the 120, 150. Um, so, yeah, uh, lightening up on some of these names, in particular, out of the stock, Frank, and into call spreads that have a lot less risk attached. All right, Wise, speaking of you, not Farmer Jim, but you, uh, you do own Meta Platforms. You also own Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, and Alphabet. So you're big into FANG. Are you still bullish on it? I am. Look, to me, they're compounders. I haven't touched most of them. The only one I've actually sold down and traded around is Meta. And, uh, you know, I'm looking to exit. I think it moves up higher. We're seeing some of the bad press dissipate, and that's typically when the stock lifts. I'm actually surprised it traded lower, uh, you know, earlier in the week and the end of last week. But I'll be getting out of it. It's just too much fan exposure at this point. But I agree with Joe's point that you're going to see more money come into these names as they come out of the high flyers and as you have really sure growth at what I think are very reasonable prices. You know, Jenny, over to you. You mentioned this a short time ago that, in your opinion, Meta is double-digit growth for revenues every year. Um, Any concerns about some of the transition of the company, also regulatory fears? Is that something that could impact the stock? Um, the transition, no. Regulatory fears always, but I think that's such a long-dated threat and, frankly, such an, a difficult-to-enact threat that we're actually not working it in to our um, valuation assumptions. So it's something that always lurks in the back of my head, but it also lurks in the back of my head for Google, for Apple, you know, for, for pretty much all the big, huge um, tech companies. So, yeah, not in our assumptions, but right. definitely in our minds. Hey, Frank. Yeah. Just real quick. Um, I was just remembering that uh, Jenny had mentioned, well, you can't get out of them if you're not in, which is accurate, of course. Yes. Except that there is a, it was just on, I think, the the show before us, the SARC. Um, This is the short ETF of another ETF. It's a short ETF of the Kathy Woods ARC ETF. So even, Jenny, if you're not um, in those stocks, <laughs> without shorting them, you could buy an inverse ETF, uh, which is SARC. It's the Tuttle, um, basically a new ETF. I think it came out uh, November 9th, Frank. Um, but very interesting. And it's already up pretty big for the month because, of right. course, it's taking the opposite bet, but not on the stocks. It just shorts the um, ETF. And many folks who can't short things either in their IRA or elsewhere could make uh, pretty good uh, exposure from this, the S-A-R-K um, ETF. Dr. J, we appreciate the new investment ideas. Also, while we're jumping in, Weiss, what's wrong with khakis? I Thank own you. a bunch of them. Nothing wrong with them. Uh, all right, despite the recent tech sell-off, there isn't really anyone betting against the trade. Leslie Picker is following the money. Hey, Picker. Hey, Frank. Yeah, that's right. It's a short seller's time to shine. Too bad there are so few of them left in this market, short interest for a typical S&P stock is near is at a near record low, hovering around levels not seen since the dot-com bubble era. That means hedge funds' ability to capitalize on the recent Nasdaq sell-off has been minimized, at least recently. The industry's returns dented on the long side, too. During Q3, hedge funds lifted exposure to high multiple growth stocks to a new 
record high. Of course, many of those are still unprofitable names and facing the brunt of the sell-off this week. While it's a missed opportunity for hedge funds, which are experiencing unprecedented underperformance relative to the S&P this year, the shorts shakeout does have a main culprit, according to Goldman Sachs. It's retail investors. The firm says their basket of the most concentrated short positions trades in correlation to the rise in retail trading activity. In other words, when retail is more active, as they've been in recent weeks, that basket jumps, causing losses for hedge funds short those names. But not all trades have failed. Goldman says that the two names with the most short interest relative to float, Beyond Meat and Workhorse Group, have traded lower over the last week, although Beyond Meat is up today. And Bill Ackman posting a 6x gain on a bet placed back in March to capitalize on rising inflation. He is said to have notched a near billion dollar return on derivatives to capture the spread if rates rise. Scott, uh, Frank. Hey, thanks a lot, Picker. Appreciate it. All right, turning back to the traders now. Is this a bearish sign for the market, or does a bu- or do you think it's a bullish one, Jenny? We're gonna start off with you. Oh, sorry. Um, is the short interest? I actually think that it's a bearish sign because what because what makes me nervous is when you're at that low, it kind of tells me that all the cops have left. And I think after a market that's been up 16.5% over the past decade, what you've had is all the short sellers, they're just punished, right? And people might say, hey, I think you're a really smart portfolio manager, but I've been proven wrong and I've lost so much money, I just can't do that. So it seems to me like all the cops are off the beat and it makes me very nervous that, um, that there's not that layer of suppression that's kind of kept the froth out of the market. So I, I, it makes me worried. And I think we see that manifesting itself in things like you know what happened to Zoom, what happened to Peloton, right? If there had been really aggressive short sa- sellers at play over the past two years, I don't think they would have reached those highs and then wouldn't have had the crumbles that they've had. Also, we can see it with like Gap and um, Nordstrom today. So I think we're gonna be in for a lot more volatility because of that absence. Yeah, short interest at near a 25-year low. The lowest has been since the tech bubble. Something to keep in mind. Great reporting from Leslie Picker. All right, one trade that has been working, that's energy. It's up 5% this week and still the best-performing sector this year. And today, Chevron upgraded to outperform at RBC, and its price target raised to 145 Jenny, we're going to toss things back over to you. You own Chevron. Yeah, it's all coming up, Jenny. This is awesome. Um, so, Steve Weiss, Energy Uninvestable. I think not. Best performing sector of the year. Steve and I were duking it out earlier in the year on this one. Um, so, here's my thought. I think that we will not have a replay of this going forward. I think that there's still a ton of money to be made in energy because we all want, everybody wants to get to just clean energy, renewables, sunshine and rainbows fueling everything we do. But we're not there yet and we're not gonna be there for a long time, like in, measured in decades. And as a result, companies like Chevron need to keep pumping the oil so that, you know, so that I can drive my car to my in-laws for Thanksgiving, where I am right now. Um, and so I think that there's money to be made here. I play it two ways. We have Chevron as our kind of direct exposure to fossil fuels. And then in the portfolio, we also have a bunch of pipelines. We have things like Kinder Morgan, One Oak, Williams, Energy Transfer, Enterprise Products. And that's a nice way to play energy, but with your head down and kind of hiding out a little bit, because those are the big pipelines that just transport um, oil, gas. They, I know this is a wild oversimplification, and some of you will beat me up for it, but they're kind of like toll roads. And if they just, you know, as long as we're using energy and it's flowing through, you get to collect the money from um, 
from the use of those pipelines without having as much exposure to the price of oil. So that's a nice way to play it if you're nervous about the volatility in the price of oil. All right, Joe, turning over to you. You're also getting into the energy trade. You bought PXD shares up 9% this week. So I I really have not invested uh, in energy for 2021. I've stayed away from it. But I will tell you, with all due respect to the president, uh, I thought that the actions from his administration just clearly uh, show that there is not a willingness to resolve the problem as it relates to the supply, demand, and balance that exists. Uh, Release from the SPR is going to do nothing for solving that. It really is about incentivizing production and reversing some of the regulatory uh, actions that have been put in place. So with that in mind, the price of oil is going higher, Frank. And if the price of oil is going higher, the name that you want to own is Pioneer Natural Resources. The reason for that is you want to understand what their hedges are to the spot price of oil. Well, they haven't been able so far in 2021 to really benefit significantly because in the first half of the year, they already had pre-existing hedges in place where 80% of their book was locked in. The second half of the year, that's declines to about 55%. The real story, though, occurs in 2022. Only 22% of their book is hedged out against the price of oil. So they're going to significantly benefit from a rising oil price environment. They're going to generate a lot of free cash flow. That's going to allow for them to improve the balance sheet and initiate a strong capital allocation strategy. So, John, really quick, you got calls in Halliburton, Marathon, and Valero, but I want to go over to Weiss. Weiss, you're actually very bullish on energy right now. I'm sorry, bearish. I apologize. Uh, actually, no, I'm nonplussed on energy. So I sold my Chevron last week, and uh, the reason I did and the reason why I say energy is uninvestable, look at Chevron over the last 10 years. It's flat. Look at what the S&P has done. So it is a tradable asset class. I do believe that when everybody comes in and jumps over themselves to get the highest price target for crude in the street, they forget it's a commodity. It's not a growth industry. As a matter of fact, it's a shrinking industry. So, Jenny, congratulations on your win. It took a year to get there, but I like that you can (laughs) also be in the winner's circle with me. (laughs) Okay, but on the other side of it, I'd say take take your victory lap now and put it somewhere where you can make money over the long term. Not in bits and pieces here and there. Weiss, man, it's the holiday season. You got to lighten up a little bit. First khakis, now this one. All right, <laughs> somebody's got to bring in things fairness, back I did pick on him first. <laughs> you know, on Twitter, Jenny, your, your, uh, your Twitter <laughs> okay. followers said that I'm very nice, but Weiss could be a little bit of trouble. It proves out to be true. All right, up next, more moves from the committee, <laughs> plus the retail wreck. Shares of Nordstrom and Gap both plunging over 20% on the back of their earnings. The trades are next. Halftime, back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit ODFL.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. 
Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. In France, a local mayor says that at least 24 people have drowned while trying to cross the English Channel. Another 26 have been rescued. About 40 migrants were seen getting on a small boat this morning on the French coast. Fishermen say that they saw multiple boats risking the crossing in good but cold weather. The vaccine mandate for federal workers is not having any impact on law enforcement, intelligence gathering or holiday travel. That's according to the Biden administration. The White House says that 96 and a half percent of federal workers have either gotten a vaccine shot or requested an exemption. South Dakota Supreme Court has ruled against a voter approved amendment that would have legalized recreational use of marijuana. Republican Governor Kristi Noem started the challenge after the amendment was passed by voters in November. The court ruled that the amendment violated technical requirements for changes to the state's constitution. And the owner of the Boston Red Sox reportedly looking to buy an NBA team. Axios says that Fenway Sports Group will start the search once it finishes acquiring the Pittsburgh Penguins hockey team. You're now up to date. Frank, I'll send it back to you. All right, Raul, thanks a lot. Well, the EV trade, that's red hot right now. Names like Ford soaring more than 100% this year. Noted research analyst Adam Jonas saying today... He was wrong about downgrading it earlier this year. Joe, sounds like you, uh, you know, you feel like you were right all along. I know you made some moves with Ford. Um, feeling confident about Ford's moves up 3% since announcing it's not going to develop a vehicle with Rivian. Yes. So uh, I announced on Monday that I would be purchasing Ford, uh, in a, and I've done that in addition to buying Pioneer Natural Resources. First of all, breaking up that partnership with Rivian, I want to correct uh, on air, I discussed this with Phil LeBeau. Phil, you are 100% correct. I didn't think it would happen this quickly. But what that signals to me that it is happening that quickly is that Jim Farley is incredibly confident in his EV strategy. So confident that he believes he could go on it on his own. He could deliver the 600,000 EV vehicles by 2023. From a balance sheet capacity, there's definitely the improvement. They're reinstating the quarterly dividend. And this is a stock that has the technical uh, technical momentum behind it, now trading at a 20-year high. So very comfortable, very happy taking a position in Ford. I love the management strategy of reassessing uh, the ending of this kind of partnership with Rivian. As I said, Phil's right. And I will uh, be holding Ford, I believe, for a very long time. Joe, you're also making some other moves in your portfolio. You sold Starbucks and you also trimmed AMD and Seattle Genetics. Can you walk us through it? Yeah, let's first tackle AMD and uh, uh, CGen. Um, each of these stocks, well, AMD certainly is much more of a significant winner for me in the portfolio. I'm long this stock below $80. So let's not read too much into this uh, other than this is just maintenancing the portfolio and taking some of those profits and trimming the position overall. Uh, In the case of CGen, this is more of a long-duration asset. I'm maintaining a position here in CGen, but I had to raise some cash 
to fund the new purchases of PXD and Ford. These are two places it came from. In addition, I've now completely liquidated Starbucks, a name that I've held since February. Um, The stock really has not given me the type of performance overall that the S&P has. I'm up probably about 8.5% on the stock. But the last quarterly earnings report, Frank, it wasn't a strong one. I really respect and understand what they're doing, investing in wages. That's the right thing to do. But that is going to compress margins. And you're talking about operating margins now at about 17%. You still have the headwinds related to China. So I think the rebound and recovery for Starbucks comes in the form of multiple quarters. And as I said, to fund positions, new purchases. Uh, Unfortunately, I had to liquidate the position. Doesn't mean I won't go back in again, but I probably wouldn't do it until I see in those quarterly earnings reports some evidence that there has been a reversal of a lot of the headwinds that currently exist. All right, Jenny, after a brief intermission, we're getting back over to your show. You have a new stock buy two days from Black Friday (laughs) in the supply chain space. Can you kind of walk us through that one? Sure. Star bulk carriers. So this is actually a dry bulk shipper. What they do is they ship things like coal, iron, or um, grain. Okay, actually not not the big contain- containers. Um, this is dicey. So I've been on this show for about three years now. This is, I think, the highest risk, highest reward stock that I've given yet. And I'm sure half the audience out there is like, oh my God, she's lost her mind. I got burnt in the shippers. I'm never going to touch them again. Maybe she doesn't know that. Well, guess what? I do know how, how tricky they can be. They're super, the dry bulk shippers in particular are super sensitive to geopolitical risk, to China, um, Chinese economic growth, macroeconomic um, environment. And also, most importantly, the supply dynamics, supply demand dynamics of the industry. This is an industry where once they get profitable, sometimes the management teams go crazy and they start bringing on all this new supply. There's a lot of reasons out there that supply could and should be constrained right now. So if this industry, if the management teams can stay controlled, and by the way, they have been like burnt over the last 10 years, so they should have some discipline. If they can stay controlled, there is a lot of money to be made right now. The day rates on the dry bulk are in the $20,000 range, costs about $11,000 to operate many of the ships, so they're really, really profitable. I really needed to do my homework here, and I waited until Starbuck had their last earnings call. It sounded really good. Sounds like there's actually a long runway to make money, again, if the managements can all stay controlled and, um, and be reasonable with their capital allocation. They announced a $1.25 dividend for the quarter. Um, be careful extrapolating and saying like, oh my god, that's an almost 20% yield on the stock. It's a variable dividend. That's another big difference. But there could be a lot of money to be made here. So fingers crossed that I'm right. Yeah, a lot of people crossing their fingers right now. Important to, to uh, differentiate, this is dry bulk <laughs> shipping, not container shipping. Containers generally consumer goods. This is more industrial items, things like coal, grain, wheat, et cetera. Do you see this as also an infrastructure play? Because as we all know, a lot totally. more things are going to have to be brought into the country to, to rebuild our roads and do things like that. Right. And as soon as China gets past the Olympics and they start building and they don't worry about their super blue skies again, I think they'll really, you know, crank things up there, too. So it's kind of um, double pronged by Chinese economic growth um, firing back up and the infrastructure bill here. There's a lot of wind at the back here. Yeah. One point of clarity, our our data team actually crunched that uh, dividend number. It's more like 14 percent dividend. If you look at the last 12 trailing months, just to give some more insight, I know our chart right there said 24 percent. Yeah. All right, coming up next, we're going to get to the retail wreck. Gap and Nordstrom getting whacked on the back of their results. We're going to trade it and the retail space as we head into the holiday shopping season. That and much more coming up on Halftime. 
Over the past 18 months, JetBlue has accelerated its course of action to achieve its goal of net zero carbon emissions by 2040. The plan includes reducing aircraft emissions per available seat mile by 25%, converting 10% of total jet fuel to blend sustainable aviation fuel by 2030, and maintaining an 80% recycling rate for domestic flights. And that's your ESG Fast Fact of the Day. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back to halftime. A lot of retail stocks on the move today. Nordstrom and Gap are down double digits after earnings. Nordstrom on pace for its worst day ever. John, over to you. I know you own both of these stocks. Yeah, um, and uh, well, I don't own Nordstrom, uh, Frank, but I did own Gap. And that was just a, you know, just a wipeout. Um, I, I should have uh, been a little more disciplined uh, in Gap. Um, I noticed, Frank, that they're going to be closing a lot of stores um, closing the Gap and uh, um, Banana Republic stores and basically going over to their more profitable line, Athleta and uh, Old Navy. So I think that's a good move. I noticed that they're virtually balanced. They're going to close about 75 stores. They're going to open about 75 of those others that I named. And I imagine they're just flipping the leases then, Frank. So um, I think that's better use of the space and their capital. Um, as far as Nordstrom, man, that was a terrible report. They're going to have to spend a lot more on digital, and they're not getting people into the stores for those Nordstrom rack. They're, you know, uh, more or less competitor to TJ Maxx, right. um, but it's a, an internal competitor. It's not quite the same at all because they make the clothes <laughs> that they're going to sell at that uh, competitor to TJ Maxx, whereas TJ Maxx doesn't make the clothes. They just buy the excess inventories. I think that's a much better business, Frank. So that's one of the reasons, among many, why I don't own Nordstrom anymore. Hey, Joe, turning over to you. You own TJX. What's your take on retail right now as we head into the holiday season? <laughs> My take on TJX is I bought it a little bit too high, but I'm, I'm good with it. I agree completely, as I usually do with my good friend John's comments. Uh, TJX, I think, is in a position to continue uh, to capture market share uh, off-price apparel. They certainly have the inventory levels in place to service the needs of their customers. So a little bit of a pullback post-earnings. I bought it the day after earnings. As I said, a little bit higher than I would have liked. Uh, but I believe in buying high and selling higher, and I think that strategy is going to prove correct. Ultimately, TJX is a stock that will push well into the 80s. So, Weiss, what's your take on retail? Number one, we know you hate khaki, so Gap's out. Uh, but on a serious note, I know you're shorting Macy's, but you also own Dick's Sporting's Good. 
Yeah, and, and by the way, Jim hasn't bought a pair of khakis in probably three decades. He's still got five pleats on each side. <laughs> so, look, you know, I'm surprised at the carnage that, that we're seeing in Nordstrom. Right. Well, correct. Chinos. I'm surprised at the carnage we're seeing in both Gap and Nordstrom. They're not going out of business. They're trading like that, going out of business sales. I'm surprised what's happened with Dick's, which blew it out in all metrics and raise. So there's not a lot of rational investing going here. I shorted Macy's on the Nordstrom print last night, up about 6% in the trade, short a little more this morning because couldn't get enough after the market. I'll probably... Uh, not probably. I definitely will cover it, maybe even during the show today. But I think it's those that can execute well are going to succeed. Unfortunately, you don't know until after they report and tell you what they did. So you have to be prepared to own these, the solid ones, the ones where you like management, where you like what their offering is, and where they are making inroads on online. Dix was up 100% year over year. And stay with them through this. This is noise. However, this quarter is where they do, what, 75% of their revenue. So it's very important what happens between now and, and the beginning of the year. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, today, XRT down about a percent and a half as we uh, enter the holiday shopping season, the unofficial start on Black Friday. All right. Up next, John Nigerian's latest trades and unusual activity. And tune in at 6 p.m. Eastern for a CNBC special crypto night in America. It will offer a window into the rapidly growing world of cryptocurrencies, focus on the much discussed but little understood asset class and how to make some money off of it. Again, that's tonight at 6 Eastern right here on CNBC. Halftime. Back after this. All right, welcome back. Time now for the holiday edition of Unusual Activity. Dr. J, what are you saying? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm hoping none of these are turkeys, Frank. <laughs> um, Hertz is what I'm going to start off with. And it has not been a turkey since it came out uh, on the relaunch of Hertz. It's done quite well. Somebody steps in today, buys 10,000 of the January 25 calls um, with the stock at about 22 and a half. I followed them into that trade, Frank. I'll probably be in there about four weeks. Second trade is the 3rd of December, so just a week from this Friday, November, uh, the Black Friday, a week from then, they're buying the Bank America uh, December 50 calls. That's with the stock at about 47.80. I bought those as well. I already owned those. I did not own Hertz. I'll probably be in the uh, Bank America calls for at least a week, Frank. All right. Thanks a lot, Dr. J. Well, the Thanksgiving travel surge is underway, but airline stocks, they're pulling back today. And in the last week, is this now a buying opportunity? Trades from the committee. That's next on Halftime. The busy holiday travel season has begun, and we're looking at what it'll mean for airlines in Q4. Our Phil Lebeau is live at Chicago O'Hare International, one of the busiest in the nation. Happy holidays, Phil. Happy holidays, Frank. Here are magic words to the ears of airline executives. It is a quiet holiday rush. Quiet being the key word there. Three reasons why the airlines are giving thanks this uh, Thanksgiving week, if you will. First of all, they are seeing a definite increase in demand. In fact, what we're noticing right now is that the uh, no storms are causing no cancellations. And as a result, the number of people that the TSA are screening down just 9% compared to 2000, 2019, the best we've seen since the pandemic began. And because there's greater demand, airfares have also increased. They're not to 2019 levels yet, but they are improving. And then there's transatlantic travel, which has been a nice boost for those carriers 
who have transatlantic flights. Look at the improvement in terms of what's happening with revenue compared to 2019. Yeah, Q2 is down 85 to 90 percent. In December, the estimate is that it's going to be down just 35 percent. As we saw Europe open up, it definitely helped American, Delta, United, JetBlue as well, because JetBlue now flies into the UK. But just as Europe gives, Europe takes away. And as we've seen the COVID-19 cases surge in Europe and some of the lockdown stories that have come out of there, there is the concern that Europe will not be as potentially profitable uh, or as lucrative for those carriers over the next couple of months. So for the carriers, they'll take what they're getting here in the U.S. for this holiday season, at least a great start to it, strong demand. And that's really what the airlines have been looking for for some time, Frank. Well, happy holidays, man. By the way, O'Hare, always jam-packed like a Wednesday in like May, so I can't even imagine right now, but as you mentioned, a quiet rush. Our Phil LeBeau, thanks a lot. All right, one thing that kind of stuck out to me is that Phil mentioned that passenger traffic's only down about 9%, but they also, he also mentioned JetBlue, Jenny. I know you recently bought, opening up a new line of business traveling to Europe. Um, why buy JetBlue right now? Well, it's funny because that's the same thing that jumped out at me because what we found from the last quarter was that actually revenues were down last quarter only 5% compared to 2019. So what we thought when we bought this, and we bought it two weeks ago. So if you're buying it today, you get to buy it cheaper than we bought it two weeks ago. What we thought is that obviously business travel is coming back. Obviously leisure is really, really coming back. Historically, business kind of led the revenues. Now leisure is really leading the revenues. But what we think is that we think JetBlue gets back to $2 of earnings, which is what they were earning in 2019. And when they do, you take that $2 of earnings, you put a 10 times multiple on it, which is still half the market, and you have a $20 stock. And that's a 37% upside from here. So it's not really crazy. It's not magic. We looked at the different airlines. We think this is one of the best managed with some of the best um, capital discipline by the management team and a lot of control over pricing. Um, so it really is that simple. And one thing to note on this one, I think you have, or on all of these, you have to be early and you have to be patient because as soon as those revenues start to come, sorry, as soon as those earnings start to come back, you're going to see the share prices move up really, really quickly. So we thought, all right, just be early, you know, take the lumps. And sure enough, we have a lump in the first two weeks, but I think we're going to make a lot of money on this over the long run. Weiss, I know you own, you, uh, excuse me, United. Uh, what's your take on, on JetBlue and just the airlines in general as we see travel begin to rebound? Well, my take right now is a miserable one because I'm down about 5% in the United position. But I'm with Jenny. Travel is coming back, having you know, bought some travel both for business and for leisure. Prices are up there. And depends where you go, and prices are exceeding 2019 levels. So then it's just a question of volume. And volume in business is going to be very slow to come back. I still want to go see some, uh, some other family offices, and they just want to do Zooms. Maybe it's me personally, and maybe John can get in to see them. But I don't know. But business is still where most of the revenue, the margin, is going to come from over time. Period. End of story. And that's just taking longer to come back. With the new outbreaks, it's an issue. Some countries in Europe are already closing their borders to flights, for example, from the U.K. All right. Uh, Weiss, appreciate that take. Final trades. Those are coming up next on Halftime. Stay with us. All right, welcome back. Time now for Final Trades. Joe, kick us off. Haven't mentioned this name in a while, but Virtu Financial. Short interest is at its highest level since before the pandemic. It's a play on volatility. You want the lit exchanges, not off exchange, price discovery. Virtu for volatility. Jenny? 
New York Community Bank. I spoke to the management on Monday to reaffirm my investment thesis and came away feeling great. 5.4% dividend yield. Weiss. Dick's Sporting Goods. Dr. J, take us home. Apple. Upside call buying. I bought more. All right, there we go. Happy holidays to all of our investment committee. And now over to Kelly Evans and The Exchange. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply.